Hi, and welcome to a special edition of Zap Girl and the Podcast, the podcast about all things life-living, life-saving, and life-giving. I'm your host, Carrie Romero, and thank you so much for tuning in today. It's a little bit longer of an episode, but it's totally going to be worth the listen. Today is January 10th, 2020. There was a very special person that was born. This show is dedicated to him. Today, he would have been 96 years old, and his name was Earl Bakken. He was the co-founder of Medtronic, one of the largest companies in the world of implanted medical devices. And the technology that he helped create helped to change my life. Earl was a visionary. He was a legend, but he was also a very humble man. And the conversation that I'm having today was is with his close friend and assistant, Susan Pichel. She worked alongside with him to help change healthcare on the big island of Hawaii, and they went on to work together in his foundation. He wanted people to live on, give on, and dream on. And he challenged people with a question, what are you going to do with your extra life? And my conversation here with Susan, she shares some insights, some personal stories, and things that you might not have known about Mr. Earl Bakken. He had a great sense of humor, but he was also very focused on helping people change themselves, better themselves, and change the world of healthcare. To me, Susan is a superhero. Earl most definitely was a superhero. I believe we've all faced something that has given us an extra life, and so I'm going to offer that challenge to you today in honor of Earl. What are you doing with your extra life? Think about it. Enjoy. Zap girl, I felt a blast girl. Zap girl, oh it was fast girl. Zap girl, and in a Welcome to the show, Susan Pichel. Thank you so much for being here. I'm seriously overwhelmed and excited to have you as a guest on Zap Girl in the podcast. Thank you. I'm very happy to be able to talk with you in person. I know. We met in Hawaii. It was uh, January 2018. And I feel like one of, one of the luckiest people on the planet truly to have met you. And especially in the circumstances that it was under, we were there as part of the Medtronic Bakken invitation. And obviously you living there and working right alongside of Mr. Earl Bakken. That was, it was just a privilege and a moment in time that will truly stay with me forever. I, I, and we just connected right away. And I just thought, man, I really would love to have her on as a guest as I had started this podcast. And I wanted to hear your perspective. You have so much history of your own, and then it combines with Earl and then the changes that you made for the state of Hawaii, particularly for the big island of Hawaii. And I wanted to kind of give everyone a chance to hear your story and what you experienced starting the North Hawaii Community Hospital right alongside with Mr. Obakin. You know, my podcast when I started it, I wanted to I wanted it to be about life saving, life living and life giving. And Susan, you have all three of those things. And you have when you started out in Hawaii, you were an emergency medical technician. And I wanted to kind of get some insight just a, a couple minutes for our listener to hear what it would be like to have that job, and especially as a woman in that field. Interesting. Sure. Um, first of all, when you said we met in January of 2018, 
I stopped and thought, no way, we met a long time before that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but you're right. We've been friends forever. <laughs> I thought, is, she, is that correct? But you are right. So, of course, every year of that group coming to Hawaii was always a special time for me to meet 10 or 15 wonderful honorees from around the world. And I've made lifelong friends, and you're one of them. So thank you for having me. I was in my 20s and had moved from the island of Oahu, where I had gone to college and got my degree in education. And I moved over to Hawaii Island uh, and up to an area of the north part of the island, Waimea, and come to find out there was the nearest hospital was more than an hour away from that place. I had been working on Oahu at a rural North Shore clinic as a medical assistant. And so when I got to Waimea, they had a new emergency room that had recently opened. And it's a freestanding urgy center is really what it was connected to an outpatient clinic. And I was able to get a job there because I basically had office medical assisting experience. And um, they sent me to EMT training because it really was uh, a level of care that required a little more training. So I did that for 10 weeks and uh, worked in that emergency room or urgy center for 10 years. And I was, uh, worked the weekends. I was one of the weekend warriors, we used to call ourselves. So I'd report into duty at 8 a.m. on Saturday morning, and I wouldn't go home until 9 p.m. on Sunday night. So I worked 37 straight hours. And it was in that little emergency room. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Well, it, it, I'll wow. just give you an idea. We slept on Saturday night pretty much. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it, we, we were... Yeah, you know, it's not uh, whatever you see on TV. It, today, it would be more like that. <laughs> but this was, um, oh my goodness, this was many, you know, 30 years uh, ago at least. And so it was pretty quiet. Uh, we did have some pretty horrific cases come in, uh, emergencies, and but we were not uh, equipped with surgery or blood. So if anything was really bad as far as trauma, people had to go by ambulance onto either Hilo or Kona on our island, which was another hour, hour and a half drive, sometimes in inclement weather. Many times they would come to our, uh, it was called Lucy Henrique's, and it was, we, they would come, and we called it Lucy's. They'd come to Lucy's and be stabilized, and then we'd basically put them back into another ambulance and transfer them to the two full-service hospitals we had on our island, uh, one of them, either Hilo or Kona. And sometimes if there were multiple victims from, say, a car crash, we'd put two people in the ambulance. And there were times when I literally would jump in. I was an EMT. By that time, I'd jump in and ride with the ambulance to Hilo. Sometimes a person may be uh, not breathing on their own, so we'd have to bag them all the way, something like that. So it was an exciting time. Uh, but then there were the Saturday nights when I got to go in my little sleep room, close the door and watch Saturday Night Live. So it wasn't all all like that all the time. There were some perks. The deal was, I, it was me and EMT and then a MICT or paramedic. We manned that emergency room on weekends and I should say, woman, man and woman, that emergency room. And yeah, it wasn't, uh, when I went to EMT training, I was one of two young women in the class. All the others were men and they were firefighters. So that was an, another interesting experience. But women really weren't that, you know, fire firefighters and EMTs. Back at that time, it was pretty un pretty uncommon to have women in those roles. But the deal was on Saturday night is that I got the sleep room which I could go in and lock the door and had a shower and a nice bed that I could make. And I had to answer the phone. And my partner, who was the MICT, would sleep in the holding bay area next to where the doors were. 
and he'd have to answer the door. <laughs> so he never you knew <laughs> what might come through the door. But or what I got some very interesting phone calls in the middle of the night sometimes as well. But yeah, but it was uh, really good memories and great teamwork, and I learned a lot. And you know, definitely we saved lives, and that felt really good. And um, oh, it was in that emergency room where the idea for another full service hospital for our island came from. That the seed was planted uh, in that little emergency room because we were sending so many people off to one of the other two hospitals on the island who needed hospital services. You were a trailblazer, Susan, because I didn't really realize this story. I knew that you helped Earl start that, but I didn't really realize that the idea of the North Hawaii Community Hospital, which it became known as later, but it started at Lucy's. Yeah, it really did. And it preceded Earl even living on the Big Island. And most people that know Earl and have heard about his association with the hospital don't know that. But that's that's where it started because we were always, like I said, uh, we'd get some victims from an accident and we'd you know, say they had a broken arm or a broken leg and we couldn't do anything to fix that. So we'd have to you know bandage them up and splint them up and then put them back in an ambulance and you know hopefully they made it safely to the hospital an hour or an hour and a half away and our population was growing at that time it was growing rapidly because of resort developments on the Kohala Kona Kohala coastline which is where we met Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um, so the population was growing and our two hospitals on the island were outdated and limited in services. So it, the idea came up, why, why shouldn't we, or why, why not see if we could get another third hospital for our island? And that's where we started. And from there, you met with a few people and said, hey, we need to get this going. And they were on board with that. But then how did Earl Bakken become a part of that. You had said that the idea had started before he even arrived. Sure. We, we were basically working to get access to care because of what I explained. People were dying um, without, you know, before they could get to these uh, acute care hospital services. Uh, this was in the early 80s. I had friends that were having their babies in their cars on the way to get to the hospitals because we didn't have uh, obstetric services. We, were, we started as a community group, a community board. We organized. We tried to get all of our small communities uh, in our, on our island uh, supportive of this idea. And, and it wasn't that easy, to be honest. You'd think that if somebody wanted to build a hospital, everybody would be, yay, let's do it. Right. But there, there, were, there were issues that... We were young people, and the the power at the state level, which everything has to go through our state uh, bureaucracy, anything healthcare services, all of that. Then the the powers were in in on Oahu in Honolulu, the capital of the state, and so they were kind of leery. Who are these young whippersnappers over there? What do they know? <laughs> you know, and and you know, basically, how could they dare build build a hospital without us? being in charge of it. So um, we we just were kind of naive, but we forged ahead and got the community involved and got the community supportive and came up with an idea to have a public and private partnership, which had never been done, at least in our state. We said, look, if, if you, we'll, 
we'll raise half the money from private donations if you will contribute the other half. And the state, the state legislature, after a, a few sessions, it wasn't immediate, they agreed to do that, to, to give us a matching grant. So it's, it was about that time that Earl Bakken, who's the co-founder of Medtronic, and his wife, Doris, uh, decided to move to Hawaii Island. He had recently retired from Medtronic, a long uh, career, a company that he started. And they were looking for a warm island place after living in Minneapolis, Minnesota all their lives. And um, they found a beautiful piece of property on the shore of our island. Had nothing, had no utilities, had no fresh water, had nothing. And uh, Doris looked at it. It was beautiful on a black sand beach on the west side of the island where the sun sets every day. And she said, oh, and and the realtor said, well, we don't really have any infrastructure down here. You know, even the road is just a gravel road. And she said, oh, my husband's an engineer. He can take care of all of that. And so they bought a piece of secluded beachfront property and built a beautiful home. And, you know, they got their, they basically, there were fresh springs, uh, brackish springs on the property where the fresh water from the mountains would flow down and mix with the seawater. And Earl designed a desalination system to desalinate the water. And they, that was their water source. And then they, the first several years, they had great big uh, diesel run generators that uh, powered everything at the home. And then in uh, in the latter years, uh, I'd say four to five years before he passed, his dream of having a solar-powered home came true. And he was able to put a whole beautiful uh, solar power plant, basically, on their property that powered up their whole estate. And he was living on free sunshine. <laughs> I love that. I love that even into the later part of his life, he's still having those visions of betterment. And, and that is beyond inspirational. Absolutely. He was a visionary. He was a futurist. So he, they moved to our island and the idea was that they were going to retire and he was going to not work anymore because he'd spent his life very devoted to his work. And he said, he'd tell the story that after about three weeks of laying in the hammock and walking the beach, he was bored. <laughs> he needed something to do. <laughs> I retired. Done with retirement. <laughs> What's next? <laughs> yeah, I, I did it. Okay, next. Exactly. He would tell people he flunked retirement was one of the things he just wasn't good at. So we had learned about this man in our community through some people that worked with them getting their house built and so forth. And we were a young community volunteer board There were some doctors on the board, just some community members like me, and we tried to have people that represented all the different segments of our community and the little outlying towns and so forth. So we heard about this man, and we thought, boy, it'd be great to get him on our board because we were actually making progress by that time. And so we invited him to be on our board, and he said, oh, no, thank you. I promised my wife I'd retire but I, I would be interested in giving a talk, you know, to your board or your organization if you'd like that. So we agreed and he gave a talk to our community, actually. And uh, it was a talk about the future of healthcare and the implications for quality and cost. 
which to me sounded a little like, hmm, ho-hum, <laughs> to be yeah, honest I, at the time. Like, just, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I, can, I can imagine that there might have been a couple of dozes off situation. But, you know, honestly, I for thought, me anyway. well, for me too, and I thought, and I had to organize this community event, and I thought, well, who's going to come? Well, you know, we it, the, the auditorium was full. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of amazing. But uh, I don't think people really knew who Earl was. And if you hadn't had any, you know, cardiac issues or needed a pacemaker in your life, you probably had not heard of Medtronic at that point. But he gave his talk and he um, it was well received. And afterwards, we had a little welcome reception. And I think he was just taken by our group of young, you know, local Hawaii people, and uh, we embraced him. And he, within a year, he was president of the board. Wow. <laughs> you know, he, first, he first he said, "Well, maybe I, I'll be on your advisory committee or your advisory board." We said, "Fine." Sure. And then, uh, within a year, he was chairing our board and did chaired the board through the complete uh, conception phase and planning phase and design and building of the North Hawaii Community Hospital that opened in 1996. Wow. Absolutely phenomenal. So you have worked alongside him so closely for so many years, but when you first met him, was it a little intimidating given his history? No, not at all, because he was a very quiet, shy, introverted person. So, uh, and I we didn't have Google, so, <laughs> so I really didn't know that much about him and Medtronic. I really didn't know his stature, to be honest, and how influential he was back in the Twin Cities area and, and in the world of cardiology, for sure. He was a celebrity. Oh, yeah. Because he invented the first battery-operated, transistorized, wearable, external pacemaker. <laughs> that technology went on to morph into so many other things, which included a Medtronic defibrillator that sits in my chest that I got in 1997. I had no idea at the time the enormity of the whole situation. So sitting here 22 years later, having had the opportunity to give him a hug and say thank you was, um, yeah, it was a bit of a full circle moment for my life. So from your journey alongside of Earl building the North Hawaii Community Hospital, going forward with your life, did you, how long were you involved? You were, wait, you were employee number one at that hospital, correct? Yes. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, I still am employee number one, you know, and, but I don't work there anymore and haven't for a long time, but I am employee number one. And Earl was employee number one of Medtronic. So we used to kind of get a kick out of that, you know, that we both. I um, love that. <laughs> so I had, by the time the hospital opened, I had been working on it for nine years. Mm. And I used to tell people it felt like a nine-year pregnancy. Oh. <laughs> it's true because the last... I can't even fathom if <laughs> you've been through that. <laughs> and imagine that the last, the last month or the last year of that being like the ninth month, which, is, which really was true because we knew we had to get it open. And you know, there was always, a, you know, 500 more things to do that we thought we needed to get done. Sure. And oh my goodness. Well, and, and I just want to bring up here when Earl joined us, as I mentioned earlier, we were, we were building a hospital to give our 
people on our island and our visitors that come there access to acute care services. But Earl brought this broader vision of uh, what we used to call not just another hospital. And he had been very interested in the mind-body connection. And then he became very interested in the mind-body-spirit connection. And he coined a term called blended medicine, which he felt was the best of high-tech medicine, the best of high-touch or complementary medicine and the best of a healing environment. And he saw this opportunity to, like a little laboratory, this building a hospital from scratch because nobody was really doing that at that time. In fact, small 50-bed hospitals were closing all over the country. And so he saw an opportunity to put some of his ideas into practice. And he brought us engineering principles, everything from making sure we buried the all the electrical lines and conduits uh, deeper than code said we had to because he was concerned about the EMFs, Mm -hmm. the electromagnetic fields that emanate. And that's not woo-woo stuff. That's that's science. science, And then he made sure that we had um, electronic ballasts for all of the fluorescent lightings to reduce flicker fusion because fluorescent lights flicker. And some people can see that. It, It causes headaches and problems. Some people do not feel good under fluorescent lighting. So he just made sure we had these ballasts that uh, reduced that flicker. And, you know, uh, clean water, he made sure that we had a, a water filtration system that was better than anybody. And uh, wide hallways, not to trigger fright and flight when you first walk in the door and windows everywhere because we were in such a beautiful area and, and we know that nature can be healing. Those are just some of the engineering principles he brought to us. And then this idea of combining complementary medical techniques with Western medicine. So, you know, the best of high tech, the best of high touch, and a healing environment. Blended medicine is uh, the term that, that Earl coined. And what was the question? <laughs> you, you answered it, and then you went on to other beautiful uh, details that I I was going to actually ask about, but he, he was really in the details really was beyond just, I will sign up on and be a part of the board. I'm, I'll be the president. He was hands-on. I can only imagine that experience that you went through working with him in, in all of that. He was a great philanthropist and he gave us, he was very generous, but he, you know, for instance, we had a, fax machine. And that was kind of a new deal, you know, at the time. Oh, yeah. And they were big and bulky and they sat on the, and they had that funny slick paper that was uh, heat imprinted. Yeah. On a roll. Yeah, on a roll. And, and it would come out in a big curly queue all over the floor. And, and yes. you know, we'd run out of it all the time because that's really how you communicated at that time. You know, like I said, it was before we had the kinds of tools that we have now. So he made sure we had fax paper. He just made sure we had the things we needed to do our jobs. And, but then once we opened, we had not been able to, you know, have any really fancy diagnostic imaging equipment. So he donated a state-of-the-art CAT scan and then went on to donate an MRI, which at that time, there were only two MRIs on our island. They were mobile and they were antiquated and you'd have to get on a waiting list to get an MRI for six to eight weeks. My goodness. Yeah. So, it, you know, he gave generously, but he gave purposefully. 
So the idea of blended medicine, do you see that being implemented in hospitals around the country now, or or do you see it in the United States? What has happened with what he created? Well, we were, were sort of a pioneer, especially to use this concept to build and create a whole new hospital. So we became a model. People would come from around the world to see what we were doing. And there was a, one project that was five years younger than us that's still going strong in uh, Minneapolis called Woodwinds Health Campus. And they came and studied what our idea and vision was. And they have went back and implemented it. And to be honest, they have taken it further than we were able to just because they are in a bigger population base and they are also part of a big system in the Twin Cities. But they're kind of an isolated, beautiful little campus. But they, they same thing, they have beautiful healing environment. You know, we have art and music and we just thought of all of these, you know, there should be humor. No, you know, 100%. What, about, what about prom yes. therapy? And, you know, I mean... <laughs> So the, we were a model. Um, I do think that it was the trend at the time to move toward more patient-centered healthcare environments. Well, it, it was the trend. And uh, there were, you know, com- national organizations set up around that, and they still exist. So um, now it, it, I think it's common that if you go into a hospital or a healthcare facility that they look more home-like, they have tried to do something about a healing environment. At least I hope that's the case. Right. It would really be amazing if that trend would continue. Because like you said, the, the healing from the humor and, and nature I'm speaking as a person who's, you know, had all of the different cardiac challenges that I've had and having been in hospital multiple times, anything that I can get that is more home-like, definitely, it, it helps me focus less on my problems and focus more on the beauty that's around me. So I really hope that that, that somehow that is continuing. So I wanted to find out, you partnered together, you're working at North Hawaii Community Hospital. How long were you there before Earl asked you to become part of his foundation? We opened in 1996. Uh, Like I said, it had been nine years since we uh, incorporated as a small community nonprofit. Uh, And then by 1999, Earl had decided he was going to step down from the leadership of the hospital board and work on a broader vision of community health for our community of about 30,000 people. I should say our district of about 30,000 people. And there's small little communities within that population. And this model being based on the same model that we built the hospital on, which is a holistic model of what's good for the mind, the body, the spirit within the context of community and culture and nature, you know. And so some other nonprofits started uh, organizing themselves. One of the first ones was an organization called Friends of the Future. If we were going to have a hospital that offered alternative types of therapies and so forth, the people needed to understand what those were and how they worked and, and what, what the benefits were. So Friends of the Future opened a program, a place called Tutu's House. Tutu is the Hawaiian word for grandparent because in the Hawaiian culture, if you had any questions about your health or life in general, who would you go to? Well, you'd go to your, your grandparent, your Tutu. So they called it Tutu's House, and it became an, a free, open-to-everyone health and wellness resource center. And they opened it, initially opened it up in a little shopping center strip mall, just a place that people walked by every day and would sort of poke their head in and say, what, what is this Tutu's house? And, you know, welcome, come in. What would you like to learn about it? So it was designed from the inside out, basically. 
And it's still thriving today, 25 years later, with programs of all kinds. And the, the presenters don't get paid either. It's all volunteer. And it's, it's amazing. There's programs for kids and robotics and ukulele playing and poetry and yoga and you just everything you can imagine. And it's all related to our health and wellness. So these other nonprofits were we're starting to form as well to address other parts of our the needs of our community, education, uh, jobs, uh, workforce, etc. And so Earl invited me to come work with him through his foundation to further this uh, vision of health and wellness. And I jumped <laughs> and went and worked with him and worked until he passed. And I continued to work on the same kinds of things. My role at the North Hawaii Community Hospital once we were open. My my role was I was part of the administrative team in charge of fundraising, community relations, PR, marketing, and volunteers, and window washing. Just a few little things. <laughs> <laughs> Just a few things. Just a few things. And um, so he, he uh, asked me to join him in, in the work of the broader vision for the community. And I set up a little office with a couple of staff people. And we continued to do marketing, PR, communication, did a lot of desktop publishing. We Earl would want to hold a colloquium or some kind of a meeting. And I we'd organize all of that, different events. Uh, we'd have VIPs come to visit, you know, either national or state VIPs. Sometimes they were part of the, you know, the current administration of the U.S. government or whatever, or, you know, have a big welcome reception. And we'd always use those events as an opportunity to further the vision, uh, educate people on the vision, get people signed up and supportive of, of the various nonprofits that comprise this vision, continuing to include the hospital. As we used to say, the hospital was the jewel in the crown. We needed uh, health care services and access to acute care badly and got that. And then we were able to look further and see what other kinds of health and wellness needs the community had and address those. So I started working for him in end of 99, beginning of 2000, and worked with him very closely uh, until through the last days of his life. Mm -hmm. And you knew that you were going to be continuing that trailblazing, I'm sure, when you decided to go work with his foundation. And I can only imagine the stories that you, well, I can kind of imagine them because you did help him put them on paper, organize them into a book in um, his book that you were you were the editor of, which is Dreaming On with Earl Bakken. And listener, if you have the opportunity to get any piece of material that you want to really see how a visionary who didn't take himself so seriously, um, how he changed the world, I highly recommend this book. And Susan, I think you and David Rees just did a beautiful job of putting that all together. And from that collection of stories, I wanted to find out from you, which one stands out the most as a culmination of like his sense of humor and who he truly was outside of the public. Public eye. Yeah, he we um, I got to accompany Earl for about ten years uh, on his travels. He would head back to the Twin Cities twice a year and spend a month each time and sit in on uh, sit in on the board meetings and meet with all the top executives and get updates. He, he was technically not employed or officially connected to the company anymore, but by being the founder, it, he was. <laughs> 
very important to them, and especially to the mission. The one, one of the greatest gifts that Earl brought to our hospital was the idea of a mission statement. And he that's one of the things that he's famous for, is that he penned one of the first mission statements for a corporation back in 1960s. And when mission I didn't realize it was the, one of the first. Yeah, wow. yeah it, they just weren't being... They weren't weren't heard of back yeah. then. Yeah, and it 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 came through. The company was young, Medtronic, and they were sort of trying to find their way. And they had been doing all kinds of different things, uh, selling EKG machines and servicing equipment. And this was uh, in 1957 is when the very first external wearable pacemaker prototype was developed. So they were growing and kind of trying to figure out their niche. And the board said, Earl, look, you need to really figure out what direction we're going to go in. And he sat down and wrote this uh, set of values statements, I guess, is what thought of them in the beginning and brought them back to the board. And they said, wow, that that's pretty good. But it ended up to be the mission statement of Medtronic, which has six tenants. And it's a beautifully written mission statement that really covers uh, all the points of being a successful company. And it is and they still use it. It hasn't changed one word since he wrote it. So anyway, he was very renowned and beloved because of his role with that company. So I'd get to accompany him, you know, to all of these meetings and sit in and listen to interesting conversations and the R&D that was going on. And it was fascinating. I, I looked forward to that. For my listener, I will go ahead and put a note or a link in the show notes that has his mission statement and also a link to where we can find Dreaming On with Earl Bach and the humility that he had. Truly, that to me sounds like one of the, the biggest things that really helped propel the change that happened in Hawaii. The fact that he was a visionary and life changer, game changer in the world of med tech. And he just comes in humbly and hum- with humility and says, okay, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll help out where I can. And then he is making sure you have fax paper. So Absolutely. And that's a really, you hit right on it, Carrie, because uh, as you probably are aware, the Hawaiian culture, ha'a ha'a, it's one of the key values, which is humility. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and the Hawaiian people have been used to for decades, for forever really of outsiders, foreigners coming in and saying, okay, we're going to do things this way now. Mm, and mm-hmm. for, for generations, their culture was went underground and was almost lost until the 1970s when there was a resurgence and kind of a renaissance of the, the Hawaiian culture. So Earl being humble and unassuming and, you know, <laughs> Kind of nerdy looking in appearance. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't flashy. With his and, flat jacket. You know, flat jacket. Yeah, yes, but, you know, he, but he wasn't flashy and he wasn't a show off and he wasn't, he didn't talk much, you know. So it, it really did enable him to mesh in with the uh, local community. And, you know, they try, he, but, and he was generous. But he was also, yeah, the facts paper, but he didn't want to just fund everything because he understood that if he did that, other people wouldn't step up to the plate. So he stood in the background. I mean, when we first opened the hospital, the, we, the, the staff lounges didn't have coffee pots. I mean, you know, they're so like, oh, you know, we need to make a shopping list here. Uh, they didn't have microwaves, you know, I, the, there were no toys um, for kids in case kids came in. And Earl basically set up, he said, Susan, 
this this was part of my job. It was so fun. I got to do such fun things working with him. But I love that. He said, let's just, he says, um, you go around and you find out what everybody needs and wants and kind of make a little wish list. And then I'll just fund, a, I'll fund a fund. I'll, I'll put money in a fund and you can develop a process by which people can apply for, you know, things and go get it. So, I mean, I got to wow. be like, a, you know, it was so, it's like being a Santa Claus helper. And right. Uh, yeah. So, you know, people, the giving. yeah, it was just everything from a laptop. They needed a laptop in the pharmacy. They didn't have a laptop in the front, you know, to, wow. we need a, a DVD players or what were they? CD. <laughs> CD, 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 Walkman or one of those things, you know, so Oh, so yeah, patients yeah, yeah. can listen to music while they're, you know, in their room or yeah. pre-surgery or what. Mm-hmm. So uh, just all kinds of things. And whenever that, and they weren't high ticket items, but they were, you know, appreci- sometimes it was just be, we need some little bit of bookshelves in, in this room, you know, it, things like that. And they would, were so appreciated. And then when the fund would get low, all I had to do is say, Earl, we're running low and he'd inject it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know? So he trusted you. Oh, he did. He trusted you. He did. Yeah, he did. We were a great team in that way. Yeah, we had a great partnership. So that kind of fast forward to this last year. Recently, it was the one year anniversary of his passing. And I can't imagine what your days have been like since then. When you've really, from what you've told me, he was one of your dear friends. And so obviously when you lose a family member or a dear friend, it's heartbreaking, but then to have, he's really, he was a part of your life nearly every single day. Yeah. For 30 years, he really was. Yeah. What has your days looked like since then? And has the foundation continued? Well, initially, of course, it was what, what we all experience when we lose someone important to us and close to us. And, you know, Earl was, even though he was unassuming and quiet, he was a big person. He had a big legacy and he was a great teacher. He loved, up until his very last days, he welcomed visitors to his home. Uh, Anybody who was a Medtronic employee from any place in the world, if they happened to be on our island, he invited them to his home to spend two to three hours with him talking about Medtronic and the mission. So for me, there was a big hole in my life because this big person had moved on. Simultaneously, I became a grandmother two weeks before. So that it was helpful. It's me. almost like the universe knew. Yeah, that's the universe knew exactly. you needed to. That's what I feel. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. So I, I became uh, very busy <laughs> at that time. Um, but um, I made a promise to myself at his uh, funeral that because I knew how important he believed his a lot of his ideas and teachings and concepts were. I knew how important they were to him and how much he felt like they could help the world. So I made a promise to myself at that time that I would do all that I could for as long as I could to continue to spread those stories and teachings and in in whatever way I could. And the best vehicle that I found so far 
is this group on Facebook called Earl Bakken Rocks My World. It's a fabulous group and we're trying to get up to a thousand followers and we're just shy of maybe 20. So come on. <laughs> okay. That's right. Listener, you are now in a challenge to go onto Facebook and find the link for Earl Bakken, Earl Bakken Rocks My World. Okay. And I'll also put a link in the show notes for that. So yeah, we're, we're going to help make that happen. Yeah. And so what I've done um, is I've taken pieces, stories and pieces of this book, Dreaming On with Earl Bakken, that I got to help co-edit. Stories of Earl's life told by him and by others. It's a really was a really, really fun book, a fun project. We, we basically did it in a talk story, which is a Hawaiian version of getting around the table and sharing, just sharing, you know, your feelings and thoughts. And we sat and we just talked with Earl. Uh, hours and hours and hours and record we recorded these conversations and he shared stories from his all the way from his youth through his time in the military during world war ii to the starting up of medtronic his family life at the time he had was married with four children right when he was starting this company and all of that up through his uh the last 20 years of his 20, 25 years, 30 years of his life in Hawaii, I guess, uh, when he, we, he did accomplish so much there. Um, so I've been trying to post something every week or so on that, some of the stories from this book excerpts, and it's been really well received. And I think it's, I wasn't sure, you know, if people wanted that, but it seems that people still want to want, want to hear about Earl's story. Yeah. I, I'm speaking as one of those people personally. Yes, I so, I love reading them. Yeah, so I I stay busy with that. And his the one anniversary, uh, one year anniversary of his passing was just recently, and just a reminder of what a great person he was and the impact that he continues to make. And so, yeah, you're truly living on, giving on, and dreaming on, which well, is what he. That's right. He, yeah, you truly yeah. are. Thank you. Well, Susan, thank you so much for your time. I, I feel like I have one other question. I had. I, Did you have your questions? You said you had your three questions. <laughs> there is their three. Yes. See? <laughs> I, I had, I've put a lot of thought into those, you know. <laughs> I am so excited. I'm so excited. Don't so, get Susan, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. I, you, know, you know, honestly, I, I come into these podcasts with such high expectations that I I really want to think that I'm um, a very eloquent speaker, but I really don't. Here I'm just up here one minute. I'm, you do a great job. You do. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. I, but I am, I'm trying to embrace Earl's ready, fire, aim there you uh, philosophy. And Absolutely. for those of you who don't know what that is, I will put a link in the show notes for that, where in, in, for Google, you know, we're going to yeah. Google that. <laughs> Absolutely. Ready, fire, uh, so, Yeah. So on that note, I ask my guests these three questions at the end of the show. And the first one is if you were a superhero, what would your superhero name be? Well, I put a lot of thought into this. <laughs> Yay, and my it. superhero name would be Connecto. Oh, I love it. Let's hear more. Well, Connecto, where would you, what would the superpower be from that? That's the second question. The superpower is my ability to make connections. 
Um, uh, it's, I was told in my 20s, when I was just working as a medical assistant at the doctors, they would say, where can we get this and what should we do about this? And I always seemed to be able to have the answer. And they said, you know, you're really resourceful, Susan. And just through my career, my life, I found that I was able to, uh, I kind of felt like a connecting tube, you know, that uh, I was able to connect people with people or people with resources or sometimes resources with people. And um, and I then I used to think that if I ever had a second career, I would want to be a private investigator because I was really good at connecting the dots. I love it. And I used to tell Earl I would hire him <laughs> <laughs> because he was so detail oriented. You know, you do he'd have to have you do a, a job or a, a project, and you'd do it, and then he would find the one little teeny tiny detail that got overlooked. Every time he wasn't looking for it, it would just come to him. So I told him I was going to hire him to be on my private investigation team. Wow. So for me, it's connecto and my ability to make connections. I love that. Okay, so this is further cementing the fact that we have truly known each other for longer than just uh, almost two years because I, I have had more like people me. tell me that same thing that uh, about connections. I I have connected people all around the world, you know, and I, that's one, that's a passion of mine. I love being able to, um, make connections with people, with resources. I, I have not dealt with the resources that you, on the level that you have had, but yeah, another further connection. And then quite honestly, I always thought that I would be a good investigator too. I, <laughs> well, you're, you're hired. <laughs> I would say yes. Yeah. We're going to go to work together. I right. would love that. Okay. Yeah. And then we'll Sounds have a TV good. show and it'll be comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah. So, my third and final question is what advice would you give your younger self? You know how old I am, Carrie. That's really hard. There's so much. There's so much. I really don't. We don't ask much. <laughs> We're just we're a few decades, as well. Just say that. <laughs> but you know, there's so much. It was. It's really hard. I, that's the question that I had really put the most thought into. Like, what would it be? Because there, I listed lots of things. But I think probably to boil it down and make it very simple, I would. And then there's a lot behind this. But I would say that if I would have recognized at that early time in my life that what you resist persists. Wow. I think I would have saved myself a lot of anguish, uh, a lot of uh, spent energy that didn't really amount to anything except maybe make me unhappy or sick or whatever. Mm. So what you resist persists, I think is the winner. I had so many, but <laughs> We'll keep it simple. <laughs> that is most definitely a winner. And that that's going to resonate with, um, well, that resonates with me. And listener, I hope that resonates with you because we can become our own downfall. And yeah, we can. And along with that, the first, the first thought that came when you first asked me that question or told me to prepare for that question, I, the first thing that came to my mind was our strengths can be our weaknesses. Mm. So it, it, what you just said tied those two together. So mm, wow. um, crazy good, crazy good stuff. Well, I wanted to share with you a little story before we go that in doing some research for our conversation, we were given the book, a copy of the book, One Man's Full Life. And 
I actually started reading it sometime last year and I'm, I'm not an avid reader. I pick it up. I put it down. I pick it up. I put it down. I listen to a lot of audiobooks and podcasts, but he shared a story that just made me go, wait, what? We have a connection. Turns out when he was in the military during World War II, he was sent to training in South Florida in Miami. And then he was stationed at Camp Murphy. And he describes it in the book as being north of West Palm Beach. Well, I was born in West Palm Beach, but the camp where it actually was is in basically Port Salerno, Jupiter, Florida. And after the war, they tore everything down and turned it into a state park called Jonathan Dickinson State Park. And that's where I grew up going every summer with camps and and adventures with my family. And it still exists today. And it's one of the most beautiful places in South Florida, in my opinion. But reading that and thinking, wow, Earl's footsteps were paved here. You know, he walked in this area where I spent time. You walked in his footsteps. I know. Most likely. Yeah. I, I just had to share that with you. And just the fact I was like, okay, that is a crazy that's a crazy connection. And then having years later, having to get my Medtronic ICD at age 28, you know, that's said to share it. Pretty crazy. Did you, I, what, did you share that story with Earl? I, I wish I had known it. No, it wasn't until after. Oh, that's right. You read the book. You got the book and read it. I, yeah. Um, he would have loved that. Yeah. It was after we had met. He would have loved oh. Well, I, I, you know, did I give him a pin? I did. I gave him a pin. Yes, you did. In yes, Hawaii. Did. And you were so gracious and so kind. And you sent me a picture of him holding that pin. And, you know, I, I'm grateful that I got to share just a little gratitude, token of my gratitude with him. And that he actually held it to me. That's like, he's rock star status in my opinion. And, and, um, you know, you. Said, I remember you said. What did you say? You said something about he would. He liked female superheroes. Well, he does. Well, yeah, yeah. Because he was uh, fixated on Xena for for a long time, and it was kind of a joke with all of us. He, but he he believed in powerful women, and he liked Xena because Xena was comical. But he used to call all of the women that worked around him, all of us, Xenas. Oh, <laughs> and, well, it, it embodies you. Quite honestly. Oh, thank you. But I want you to know also about Earl. He could get himself anything he wanted. He loved getting these little gifts from people like you. He cherished those things. I'm telling you, he would put that. And in fact, that pin went into a collection of pins that he had had been given. And he had them framed. In the the last maybe year of his life, he decided he wanted to take all of his neat pins and have them all put together and framed. And he had that framed and set. it was hung on his wall. And your pin was right in there. My goodness. Okay. Well, with that, (laughs) with that emotional little closing, (laughs) holy cow, that's amazing. I'm I'm truly honored. Susan, thank you for taking the time to share these marvelous and wonderful reflections of your life with Earl and... I I really, I just can't thank you enough. Well, it was my pleasure, as always, just to get to spend some time with you, Carrie. I hope we, uh, we'll have to start working on our plan for our private investigation firm. (laughs) (laughs) I will. That sounds good to me. Okay. Thanks again, Susan. Okay. Aloha. Aloha. Zap girl, zap girl. Zap girl.